The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan and attorney Ray Judice. Your day in court on Extra 106.3, along with renowned lawyers, Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. We talk about topics that are in the news and then topics that affect you directly. So this morning, we're going to talk about judges' recusal. When should a judge recuse himself or herself from the bench in a court case? We'll talk about that in a moment. First, I want to introduce you to the guys. Easy to get hold of me, Hagen-Law.com. That's our website, H-A-G-E-N-Law.com. Tons of great information there. You can also email me, Bruce, at Hagen dash law.com and of course everybody can call me on my cell phone 404-202-2233 happy to talk to our listeners anytime right hey ray judice 404-964-4185 or RayGLaw.com. All right, let's talk about recusals of judges. The thing that's happening in downtown Atlanta with the uh, grand jury that has been summoned to look at if President Trump interfered with the election or trying to interfere with the election in 2020. Lindsey Graham was asked to testify. You have a Supreme Court justice who handles this area who has said he doesn't have to testify. Why? Why don't you explain why he doesn't have to testify? Yeah, this this issue of when uh, not just Supreme Court justices, but judges in general have to recuse themselves um, is one that comes up occasionally. It's not something we see that often, and it's certainly a delicate issue as a litigant. You know, I mean, I I, I may have a situation where there may be decent grounds for me to ask a judge to recuse himself. Suppose, for example, the judge and defense counsel used to work together um, or, you know, just something that could potentially affect somebody's judgment. There, there was a case I had where the defense lawyer and the judge disclosed that the defense lawyer had made a contribution to the judge's uh, campaign for reelection. So I can request a recusal uh, because there's a, the appearance of impropriety. That's one of the things that you look for here. It may not be wrong. It may not be that the judge is biased, but if it appears that the judge is biased um, and there's a strong possibility that the judge's decision will be biased, then it's up to the judge to recuse himself. But if I ask for the judge to step off the bench and they don't, what have I done? I've I've alienated myself and my client. In in criminal cases, sometimes that may be a little bit less of a concern uh, because anything you can do to take the judge's attention off your client uh, and onto you as the lawyer might be worth doing. In the civil case, you really do need the judge to sort of rule your way on jump ball issues, um, what kind of jury charges they're going to read to the jury, how they're going to deal with evidentiary objections. And so you have to be a little more delicate about ticking off the judge in, in those sort of cases. Um, but, you know, if there's if you can show that a judge has a financial interest in the outcome of a case, that's certainly one area. And then that potential that the judge's decision can be biased and there are any number of factors that can be looked at there yeah i mean uh, bruce is right it's a very delicate uh, approach to try to ask a judge to remove herself or himself from a case and you need to be right number one it can't just be some 
oh, I just don't like the way this is going or I don't like the way the judge is looking at us over here. So in my world, quite often I'm in front of judges with my client who arose to the bench from an appointment by the governor and they were in the same district attorney's office as the DA on the other table prosecuting my client. And they, they've been, you know, colloquial and buddies and friends for years. But, you know, I've been friends with all the judges for years, too. And just like Bruce, we, we go to the fundraisers every four years and we put a, a check in the envelope in the goldfish bowl. So there are politics involved. I think one of the things that lawyers do need to do, though, is make sure your client knows that there might be something going on. So you're up against an attorney on the other side in a civil case, and that attorney has maxed out. I think it's $3,600 uh, per campaign, and his wife is maxed out to this particular judge, and they sit on the judge's reelection committee. Now, that really may not be that big a deal, because I've probably written that judge a check too, but I think you got to tell the client that. Uh, say, hey, look, I just want to let you know that I don't think it's a problem. I've known this judge forever, and he or she is very fair, and uh, the financial end of politics is just the way it is. But it's kind of the client's call. You at least got to alert them to it, because I can assure you, uh, if the case goes south on you, and the client then finds out that your opponent is the maximum contributor and on the uh, inner circle of the judge's campaign committee, they're going to raise a stink about at least not telling them. Yeah, so the issue right now that's in the news is that um, obviously Lindsey Graham uh, was called upon to testify in the Fulton County action. Um, he contested that. The 11th Circuit said that Lindsey Graham would be required to appear to provide testimony. And then they, um, Lindsey Graham's representatives went to the U.S. Supreme Court to get a temporary stay of the 11th Circuit's order. And Clarence Thomas issued the temporary stay of that order. And so, of course, the issue is that we know that Clarence Thomas's wife, Jenny Thomas, was actively involved in the Stop the Steal movement. She, there are emails between she and Mark Meadows. There are emails between Jenny Thomas and um, representatives in Arizona encouraging them to put up an alternative slate of electors, which is exactly the same thing that happened here in Georgia. There's any number of ways in which Jenny Thomas could be implicated in the same thing that's being investigated that Lindsey Graham is involved with. And that's why this, is, this has come up that, hey, look, if there's ever an area where there's a personal interest, or at least the appearance of a personal interest, this is it, and Clarence Thomas should recuse himself from this particular case. And so, you know, there is a federal statute on this stuff. It's not all just uh, discretionary. There's a U.S. code as far as disqualification of justice, judges or magistrate judges, 28 U.S. Code 455. And obviously where there's um, impartiality could be reasonable, reasonably questioned, that would be a standard that would apply here. You know, if your wife potentially is implicated um, in these same proceedings, if you have had discussions with your wife and her view on, on these proceedings, does that potentially affect your impartiality? Then you should recuse yourself. Um, if there's a potential personal bias, we don't know, personal knowledge of disputed evidentiary facts. Again, it's, it's sometimes the appearance of these things as opposed to the actual proof of it that judges are supposed to err on the side of impartiality and withdraw from these proceedings. Yeah, but I think I think in to protect Justice Thomas's uh, position just a little bit. First of all, as Tug pointed out, uh, the 
Supreme Court members, the nine of them, are divided up in geographic jurisdictions as to who these matters would come to. So there was no forum shopping. Judge Senator Graham's lawyers didn't pick uh, Justice Thomas to decide this. It was automatically coming to him. Secondly, on the Supreme Court, there's a little bit of a different recusal procedure, meaning there's really no recusal <laughs> procedure. Well, that's just it. They're, I mean, they're still bound to the law, but there's not, you can't really ask the same right. way you would with a trial judge. Right, right. And I'm not so sure, Bruce, there must be a system where, if, in, in this case, Justice Thomas decided not to take this case on, at least this application for stay, then how does, does it go into the wheel and get randomly assigned or who's the next batter up? And of course, that may have been a decision on Justice Thomas was if I recuse myself and this goes to one of the more liberal members of the judge because they are in the next lineup, he may have that may have impacted his decision. However, but, 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 I, th but I think that's the, at the heart of it, right, is that yeah. this, this judge is having to sort of weigh that like what happens if somebody else gets this and potentially when the judge's spouse is in the middle of this fact finding that's going on there how can that judge be asked to or looked at as somebody who's going to be impartial in rendering that decision there's sure. just no doubt here that thomas should have stepped aside and said i can't have anything to do with this my, my but, wife but think injected herself into this proceeding and we know that by virtue of emails that have already been published but but pragmatically play out his decision what does this mean now there's going to be a hearing on the merits in front of the entire United States Supreme Court. It may not be till January or February, and it won't be before the election da -da 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 -da, in two weeks. So, you know, there is a lot of politics involved. But the bottom line is that if there is really something here, if there's smoke and fire at the same place, uh, it's going to be heard on its merits down the road because what Justice Thomas is ruling has no impact on the merits of this claim none at all it just stays it down the road oh that's true so so you're saying that justice thomas will recuse himself and it'll be the other eight judges that uh, will make this decision i'm not so sure well you know what <laughs> hold on let's see the briefs let's see the argument he may he may not i don't know the answer to that i, I mean your, your query is is valid but you're talking about having the merits of this matter heard in the well of the United States Supreme Court, open to the public, played on PBS on the radio, and okay, so doesn't isn't the light shining on democracy there, Bruce? I mean, that seems like the right way to go, unless you don't like full and fair fair hearings. <laughs> oh my! All right. Well, well, I don't mean you, Bruce. I mean people in general. Yeah, right. No, I'm I'm with you. So we'll. we'll do you, do you have a, anything in closing you want to get to before we uh, before we break here? Just quick, this is you know recusal of a judge is little, very rarely used as it should be. Uh, it's almost never granted as it should not as it should be, and you need to be right. And if you really have something, most of the good judges will say, "This judge, I, I forgot that I represented your client twenty years ago in that domestic relations case. Uh, I will recuse myself." And send it down to the hanging judge down the hallway. Best of luck. Yeah, right. So, sometimes it's 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 tough in that category. Be careful what you ask for. Uh, I think I told you this story once before, Todd. But I, I had a case where um, the judge announced that um, hey, just before we get started, I want to let everybody know that 
defense counsel contributed to my campaign. This judge had just been on the bench. This is probably the second trial she had. <laughs> right. Um, and I just, you know, so if you want me to recuse myself, I can. And I stood up and said, well, no, judge, I don't think you need to recuse yourself. I just want to know if there's still an opportunity for me to either match or exceed opposing counsel's contribution. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> make sure, let's make sure we're on an even playing field. That's right. a brilliant. A brilliant answer in court. I love it. This is your day in court on Extra 106.3 with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. When we come back, when you're in an accident, what do you expect out of your insurance company? What should you expect and what should you, you what should you expect out of the other person's insurance company? Next on your day in court on Extra 1063. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to Your Day in Court with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're listening to Extra 106.3. Let's say you're in a car wreck. What is your insurance company supposed to do? What are they responsible for? What about the other driver's insurance company? What are they supposed to do? What are they responsible for? I think this is one of those topics that everybody wants to know the answer to because you know what you pay for, but you don't. I don't know that most people know what they should be getting. Yeah, and even beyond that, um, I, I hear this a lot where people will pay for insurance and they'll have good insurance that they don't want to use. And, and, and they say, why should my insurance get involved? I'm not the one who's at fault. The other driver's insurance should pay for all my medical bills, should um, put me in a rental car, should do everything. Why, why should I use my insurance? Won't my rates go up, right? And so I'm frequently having to explain to people why it's in their best interest to use their, to use their own auto insurance um, rather than just wait for the ultimate resolution of the case. This comes up, for example, um, where somebody has damage to their car, and let's say that the 
person who caused the damage from another vehicle is being investigated by their own insurance company to decide whether or not they should provide coverage. And I'll talk to my client and say, well, you have collision coverage. You can get your own damage fixed. Why don't you just use your insurance, get your damage fixed, and don't be hostage to this other insurance company. Um, and people are so averse as well as a little bit angry, like, again, why should I get my company involved, that they will cause themselves additional harm by not getting their car fixed, rather than mitigate their damages, let their own insurance do what they're obligated to do, and then their insurance company will go after the other person and get the money back. So um, it, it really can get a little bit scrambled, um, you know, where the responsibilities lie. Yeah, if it's anything serious, you absolutely have to, or your counsel, have to notify your own insurance company of the wreck. We've talked many, many times about uninsured motorist coverage and MedPay coverage. Well, uninsured motorist coverage and MedPay actually has a little bit of language in, in your insurance contract that says you need to put us on notice of a potential UM or MedPay claim in a timely manner. Used to be there were actually time frames, but that's sort of been diluted. Timely, what does that mean? You know, if you wait a year and a half later and all of a sudden you try to submit your MedPay medicals, you might have trouble. Your company might fight you on that. If you wait till the day that you file the lawsuit to add the UM carrier as a put them on notice, they'll probably extend coverage, but they're going to complain because they have a right to defend. They have a right to investigate. But you've also paid those good premiums for that extra coverage. And you ought to look. If you were with one of the better companies, uh, not the ones that Bruce has uh, spit and bile about, uh, <laughs> if you're with a really good company, let's just pick one, USAA, uh, military and military dependent. Spit and bile towards them as well. Well, all right, but they're one of the better, they're one of the better companies. <laughs> and and your, your opponent is an insurance company that has a billboard uh, with a with a with a military guy on it with a helmet. Okay, so the, so let's contrast the two. Uh, you are so much better off reporting it to USAA and getting one of their adjusters on the claim. Let them tow the vehicle. Let them appraise the vehicle. Let them give you your rental. You're going to be treated better, and they will do what's called subrogation, meaning they turn around and collect against your adversary's insurance company or the individual themselves. If it turns out they weren't insured or they weren't an unauthorized, or they were an unauthorized driver because they didn't have a license or license was suspended uh, or they didn't report the claim on a timely basis. So, yes, report it to your company. They're not going to it's not a it's not a chargeable offense. They're not going to cancel you or raise your rates. No, they're not. So let's talk about, you know, the concept and the reality. OK, conceptually, if somebody causes a crash and damages your vehicle and and causes you an injury conceptually their insurance company is responsible to pay for either the cost to repair your vehicle if it can be repaired and um, put you in a rental while it's being repaired um, and the diminished value meaning if that car once it's repaired is worth less than it would have been had it never been in the wreck. Those are the aspects of the property damage claim. On the injury side of the claim, they're responsible for your reasonable medical bills that you've incurred or that you are likely to incur in the future as a result of these injuries. They're responsible for the human loss called pain and suffering. They're responsible for any lost income that you've incurred 
or will continue to incur going forward. That's, that's conceptually what you're entitled to get in the personal injury case. As a practical matter, um, none of that is going to happen right away, certainly not until you're completely done with your treatment, until you've submitted the bills, the records, all the appropriate documentation and um, appropriate medical documentation that says that the injuries you sustained and the treatment you received was necessary because it was caused by the negligence of this driver. So for somebody who's got ongoing back pain, let's say, that's a real problem. That's a real question whether it's caused there. Now, as a practical matter, if if a person who is the victim of somebody else's negligent driving, and let's let's take one of our listeners on this station, right? The listeners have been listening to our show loyally and faithfully, and they know that they need medical payments coverage and they need a lot of it, as much as they can get. So let's say they've got $25,000 of medical payments coverage. Let's say they've got uninsured motorist coverage. So, so they've got, they're well protected. They've got a hundred plus thousand dollars of uninsured motorist coverage. We want to use that coverage. We want to use their medical payments coverage to get their medical bills paid. We want to be able to add on their insurance on top of the other driver's liability limits, whatever those might be. And there's no reason for you to sit there and pay these premiums, have good insurance, and be afraid to use it when you get into this situation. And the reason I bring this up is I had this exact conversation with a client this week who uh, was involved in a hit and run, and they thought that they could identify the, the other vehicle that was involved, even though they were never going to be able to identify the driver. But they thought they could find a camera somewhere on somebody's ring doorbell and track it down and, and you know maybe get a tag number and the police would do all this. Now, in a death case, the police are going to go to that level of investigation, at least you'd like to hope they would. Um, for somebody who gets banged up and you know goes to the ER and then gets physical therapy for a few weeks, they're not doing that kind of investigation there. And when you have uninsured motorist coverage, there's no reason to because your own insurance company will step into the shoes and act as the insurance company for the hit and run driver. And then they'll go, if they want to, they can go track down the details of the vehicle. They can go figure out who to go after through the process Ray was just describing called subrogation. Yeah, I think what Bruce is getting at is you're going to find, uh, especially if you have one of the, the premium insurance companies, uh, I don't want to name them here, but I think, I think people pretty much know who they are, the better companies, they charge a little more. But they're going to be relatively your friend in this case, as opposed to the guy that hit you and ran's insurance company. First of all, that company is at a loss, first of all, because they probably represent a, a bad person who's not telling them the truth, who has seven prior tickets and is denying they were even at the scene. So, so it puts that company in a bad posture to investigate the claim and give a, give a reasonable response. But your company, that's what you pay the premiums for especially if you have an umbrella, especially if you've got good med pay. And if you have an agent, your agent will sometimes go to bat for you. Hey, company, this guy's paid premiums for 20 years. He's got two houses, five cars, the boat, ski dues, you know, the lake house, the whole deal. We need to give him premium care. Again, relatively, I know how Bruce feels about the insurance industry. But again, if you don't alert your insurance company in a timely basis, they won't help you. They can help you, except at the back end, and you're not going to be happy with that. And that's 100% true. And we've had to litigate that side issue where either somebody comes to me very late in the process 
uh, and we're the first ones notifying their own insurance company that there was a wreck, you know, a year and a half ago, um, or they just wouldn't allow it. And, and we're having to say, look, we have to notify them. You're going to need this. And, and the circumstances for uninsured motorist coverage, they might not even arise until two years later. So here's an example. Um, you may get hit by somebody who has insurance and, and who didn't flee the scene. And so you're dealing with this insurance company and um, let's say you go through the claim process and they just don't offer enough money where you're willing to accept it to get the case settled. And so you tell your lawyer, go ahead and file a lawsuit. So now it might be a year, year and a half after the crash, a lawsuit is filed. And guess what? The sheriff goes out to serve the driver of the vehicle that hit you and the sheriff can't find them. And you do a skip trace, you hire a private investigator, the private investigator can't locate this person. The insurance company has no obligation to tell you where they are. In Georgia, in order to have jurisdiction, you have to put the papers into the hands of the person who caused this crash or somebody who's an adult residing at the same address with them. So if they can't be located, now you have a driver that's not able to be served with the lawsuit. That's a circumstance where if you have uninsured motorist coverage, you can use that under the appropriate circumstances. A lawyer knows what they're doing, will file a motion for service by publication, will allow the uninsured motorist coverage uh, company to come in and fill in the shoes of the at-fault driver so that you can get relief. You can be made whole if you were smart enough to have that coverage. Well, now, you know, backtrack to a year and a half ago where you thought you were being smart and saving a few pennies by not telling your insurance company anything because after all, somebody else caused this crash. You have just prevented yourself from recovering money in a situation where you have the insurance that would pay you and make you whole for what you lost. Does that make sense, Tug? I mean, th this is somewhat complicated here and I, I gloss over this stuff because I've done it for 35 years, but sure. it is kind of frustrating and I want to make sure I'm, I'm No, yeah, of course. I mean, I understand the communication with your, your insurance company. I understand all that. All that makes sense. The, I, I think this boils down to people are afraid that their rates are going up because of a wreck that they didn't cause. That's the ultimate concern about why people don't want to use their own insurance. Am I right about that? Is that what y'all see? Yes, absolutely. They're afraid their rates are going to go up or that they're going to get canceled. And what I tell them is, I got news for you. Your rates are going up anyway. <laughs> they always go up. They never go down. <laughs> your rates are going up. If it looks like your rates are going down, what's really happening is what you're getting is going down. Yeah. The insurance company has made a decision that they're just going to do things differently and you're going to get less. So, so it seems like it. Um, and the other thing, and you know, I know there's a very famous consumer reporter on another station here in town, um, and he's always encouraging folks, shop around for the best rate, get the best rate. And, and I've, I'll tell you, that is not the way you should be getting auto insurance. Uh, like Ray is saying, you should be looking at the company itself and the claims handling of that company, because if you do make a mistake, if you do cause a crash, you want it to get resolved. You don't want to get sued because you rear-ended somebody. If you need to use your own uninsured motorist coverage, you want to know that that insurance company is going to treat you with respect and give you a fair opportunity to settle your case. You don't want to be treated like someone who's trying to steal their money and they're going to force you to file a lawsuit to go against your own insurance company to recover. And that's what goes on with some of these companies that have seemingly uh, you know, the cheapest rates but you're getting what you pay for because you are committing yourself to either being sued when you cause a crash and 
uh, alternatively, having to file a lawsuit when you should be able to resolve it with a claim. And so I'll just say, without naming names, if you think you're in good hands, think again. <laughs> That's right. All right. So, but what what would y'all recommend then for people that, oh, because look, things are expensive right now. Everything's more expensive. People are trying to cut back. And I'm not saying that your insurance is a place you should cut back, but let's say people are, look, I can't afford it. What what are the things that they need to make sure are in their policies to do the best work? And Or do you, are you just saying don't cut back on your insurance ever because I don't think people are going to follow that advice? Well, you don't need to be triple overinsured. If, if you have a X amount of assets, you don't need to have 10 times that amount of coverage. But the cheapest parts of your automobile policy of coverages are the following uninsured motorist protection um coverage we've talked about it ad nauseum and med pay let's talk about med pay for a moment i'm sorry folks when you get rear-ended and you have a c3 c4 herniated disc the opposing insurance company is not coming to the hospital to write a check for your doctor to fix that okay doesn't work that way you got to sue them okay they're not paying. So you've got to turn that over to your A, health insurance carrier, and B, your med pay. What's the difference? Your health insurance carrier, especially if it's an ERISA policy, not to get too deep in the weeds, but that's a federal law about employers. I think it's 50 employees or more, and they have a lien on your case, baby. They own a piece of it. For every dollar that they pay, that insurance company, your insurance company, you pay premiums out of your paycheck for against your ultimate settlement. You're going to, lawyers are going to compromise that down. Sometimes there's a waiver, but they own it. Now, MedPay, meaning your health insurance coverage, your medical coverage on your car, does have that subrogation interest, but it's been my experience that it, that is almost universally waived or significantly compromised. So I wanna use that med pay coverage for the medical bills that I know you're gonna need, and I wanna use your health insurance coverage for the things I know I can compromise, like that $1,800 MRI of your knee that I know costs $97 to perform. Yeah, and so to your point of, you know, if, if you can't afford insurance, I mean, I think the question is, can you afford to be out of work for a couple of weeks without having any way of getting reimbursed? Can you afford to go to the hospital if you don't have health insurance, how are you going to do that? How are you going to pay for that? You know, medical bills are the, are, are the number one cause of bankruptcies in our country. Are you prepared to go bankrupt over a car wreck where you could have protected yourself by having uninsured motorist coverage? That's what it's there for. That's why we keep talking about it. It's there to protect you. The liability insurance on your car, that's to protect your assets. So if you cause a crash, they're going to say, all right, well, we'll pay up to this amount of money to protect your assets. But the uninsured motorist coverage, that protects you. So if you get hurt and you're injured or you can't work and you're losing income, that's your fallback so that you don't go broke and you don't have a catastrophe financially over something that's not your fault and that you really could have controlled by just having the foresight to buy this insurance on the front end. So you think that, you know, oh, well, this one is $150 less than the other policy, you know, when you're shopping around, compare apples to apples. Make sure you're comparing policies that all include add-on uninsured motorist coverage, and we can talk about what that is, but also the medical payments coverage. Those two things 
I don't care how little you have, you need to have that. And that's great advice, I think, that people should really take to the bank, especially from the perspective that y'all come from, having seen this played out in court so many times. We had a case not that long ago for a police officer who was really badly injured when he was out at the scene of a wreck on I-20 late at night, pouring rain, cars backed up for a mile, and some driver just came plowing right through it and hit him when he was out at the scene of the crash. Now, he's on the job, so he has a worker's comp case. That's a whole different animal than, than any of the things we're talking about. But the insurance company for the person who hit him and caused severe injuries, I mean, his leg was nearly severed. He was unconscious for two weeks. He suffered a mild to moderate traumatic brain injury. He had multiple surgeries on his leg. He was not the same person ever again. The person who hit him had $25,000 of coverage. They paid that probably when the guy was on the way to the hospital in the ambulance. It's like, here, please let us out of this case for the $25,000. That's all she has. And you're not going to get more money from this driver because she doesn't have anything. So where else can he look? Well, this guy was smart enough that he had an automobile policy with uninsured motorist coverage of $250,000, and he had an umbrella policy. And under his umbrella policy, which people typically have if they're concerned that their assets are at risk, they've been successful, they've saved money, they don't want to lose their money in a catastrophe, so they have umbrella excess liability insurance. It also, in his case, included excess uninsured motorist coverage. So between his personal vehicles and his uninsured motorist coverage under his umbrella policy, there was a million and a half dollars of coverage there on top of the $25,000 that the other driver had. So we were in a situation where we could at least have an opportunity for him to have some safety net because he wasn't going to be working anymore. And this is kind of what he's able to sustain on going forward. So that's an example of where, you know, if you didn't have that coverage yourself, what would you have done? You're just you're just out of luck, miserable and bitter, and you and you know something that you could have controlled by having this insurance coverage ahead of time. Now you've left to the gods, and and the gods in this case said, well, no, the person just who hit you wasn't Arthur Blank. I'm sorry, it was some person who has twenty five thousand dollars of coverage and no money. Hey, one quick thing too about you know not to be overinsured, but I will say this much: insurance companies are like an army. They have privates and sergeant and second lieutenants and corporals and majors and generals. Well, if you've got a minimum policy with minimum coverages, guess who you get assigned to as both an adjuster ah. and as a defense lawyer? You get you a private. That, that private can shoot that gun, too. That doesn't, you know, they went through basic training. You got a 100, 300, you get a corporal. You got a $500,000 policy with an umbrella, you might have a second lieutenant and a bigger law firm. Most of the big insurance companies now have their own in-house law firms. These people are salaried employees. Hey, they're good people. Bruce and I deal with them every day. They've got families and dogs and they pay their taxes. So this is not a personal judgment, but they ain't trying to be partner of a law firm because there ain't no law firm there. They go home at five o'clock on Friday and they're probably not thinking about your case until Monday. If you were one of the premium companies and you've got a healthy policy, especially with that umbrella, you'll at least get yourself a second lieutenant who basically, they won World War II, the staff sergeants and the second lieutenants. <laughs> yeah, what I found at some of those, uh, the ones who were staff counsel at the insurance companies is that they're as frustrated as we are because they don't have the authority to decide how much money gets paid by the insurance company 
Um, and so they really are pawns in this process where, you know, we're trying to get to a certain number that we think is fair. And that lawyer might also be trying to get the adjuster to pay that certain number, which they also agree is fair. But some pissant adjuster sitting, you know, behind a cubicle somewhere that uh, is totally unaccountable to anybody is refusing to come up with it because do you know how you get promoted within an insurance company if you're looking for that as a career? Just keep saying no. Just, just keep saying no, no more, no money, no. You do that, you'll become a supervisor in no time. Uh, well, I was just going to say, too, the privates, they haven't gone to trial against Bruce Hagen or Ray Judice. And they can't turn to their, their insurance people or their advisors and say, you know what, that Hagen, I think I can beat him this time, but he knows how to put a case together. He's taken the depositions. He's got his experts lined up. I understand he's paid off that blue suit and he's got his shoes shined. And he will come to court and pick a jury, and we're at risk. And he's offered a policy limit settlement, and we should not put our insured in jeopardy. A, a young lawyer, God bless him, that we were all young lawyers, doesn't have the experience or the alligator battle scars to appreciate what taking a beating in court could be. And look, we lose too. But going to trial is where you get good settlements. And Bruce and I are trial lawyers. And the older you get, the fewer trials you have to have because the other side knows that you may not want to get up at 6 o'clock that Monday morning and drive to court and spend all week in, 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 jury, do, in jury trial, but you sure can do it if necessary. Your, yeah, your track record is proven that you will and you can and you succeed when you do, so they're more likely to negotiate with you, which makes perfect sense to me. That's why if you find yourself in any sort of legal situation – you need to do yourself a favor and reach out to Bruce Hagen or Ray Judice. We will continue on your day in court next here on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063.
Welcome back to Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. I'm going to give you the opportunity to uh, get in touch with these guys. We'll teach you where you can go to find expert legal advice at the end of this segment. Give us about eight minutes because we're going to talk about first how if you get a tax bill that is way, way higher than you were expecting, because I think that may have happened to somebody in this room. How do you go back and how do you challenge it? Bruce, we'll start with you. Yeah, let's start with me. I, I received a tax bill recently, and uh, the county decided that um, my property had increased by 82% in value from last year to this year. And I understand that the real estate market has gone up. Um, it hasn't gone up that much. And and so, you know, I'm looking at this and thinking like, okay, I have some skills, you know, 35 years as a practicing attorney, three years of law school, the ability to argue out of a paper bag. Um, I'm going to file an appeal here. What do I do? Um, and and not surprisingly, there's a whole process for this. And, and I would just say that if you are faced with this sort of situation, um, you don't have to get a lawyer to do it. You, you can do these yourself. Um, there are companies out there that will help you and will do it for you. And some of them, you know, I think there are different financial arrangements that they have. Some of them will take a fee based off of how much they save you on your bill. Um, but it's not magic. And, and so among the things you can do, first of all, pay close attention to the deadlines that you have and follow everything to the letter of what it says there. And it'll tell you right on the notice of that, you know, you've got 45 days to file your appeal in writing. And, and that's just the start of it. And it doesn't have to contain all the magic theories that you might have as to why this is improper, but it's basically putting on notice that I'm filing an appeal. Um, there's a thing called the Board of Equalization, which is a group of citizens from the county where you where your property is located that will step in and they can hear an appeal um, as to why this assessment was unfair and they get to make a decision that can become binding if you choose to accept it Um, there are of course appellate rights it can take you all the way through the court process and if you do go that far with it then you really do want to get a lawyer involved to help you because anytime you're dealing with a court or judicial process you're going to be up against folks who do this for a living and, and are trained in how to do it. And so, you know, there are appraisers out there you can use. Um, all the tax records on property are available to the public. So whatever county you're in, you can go to their website. You can pull up your property and see what the taxes are on the surrounding properties, how their uh, bills have been um, changed. If you are being singled out, let's say, like if my if my um, valuation goes up by 82% and my neighbors went up by 10%, Right. I can say, hey, look, this is not right. I should do I should be treated as my neighbors do. And probably the county response would be, OK, thanks for pointing that out. We'll raise, raise your neighbors too. up yeah, to 2 percent, right. too. <laughs> and by the way, we're going to make sure they know that it's because oh, you told no. us that we did. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with Bruce. While you, you may not want to hire a lawyer on this, you should approach it as if you are a lawyer. And that means step one, get the time frames set down. Don't don't wait till the last minute. The king, the sovereign, does not make it easy to either sue the king, and we've talked about sovereign immunity and statutes of limitations and and elitium notices and other shows. So same thing with the tax board, the king's tax board. Not going to make it easy, but they do lay out the rules, and I will say that in my interactions with the Fulton County Tax Commissioner, I have been very impressed with how much information is available online and how helpful, quite frankly, the employees and the people at the tax commissioner's office have been to me. So uh, Bruce is right. Get comparables. 
And that doesn't mean, you know, just barbecue, pool barbecue talk about Joey sold his house for X and how much do you think it's worth? And I had a real estate agent. No, you need to get facts. What's the square footage? What is the average square footage price and the comparables in the neighborhood in the last 12 months? Maybe some aerial photographs showing why your property has is, is you know you've got a you've got a highway behind you and it creates noise so it's not going to be that easy to get the full fair market value. What distinguishes your property from the other properties in the neighborhood? Maybe you do need to be down in that twenty percent increase rather than the eighty percent increase. So approach it like you're proving your case because that's what you're doing. Because if you lose, now you've set the marker. At the eighty percent increase for the next increase, right it's, right? it's it's the reverse of Einstein's theory of compounding interest. Yeah, you're being compounded by the government. You're being pounded yeah. by the government. And, and right? the other thing is that when when you do this appeal, um, you also, I believe, you freeze your property value assessment for the next three years mm-hmm. after that. So so it's sometimes it's worth doing it just, that. just so they don't continue to increase you. There's a lot of information available uh, online. DOR.Georgia.gov is the Department of Revenue site that has state law on this. Um, your county tax assessor's office will have a website, and there's a lot of specific information there. Um, the Department of Revenue doesn't get involved in these appeals, but they, they lay out the framework for what goes into it. And, you know, that's whether you choose to take this to your county board of equalization, like I mentioned earlier, that you can get a hearing officer, you can even arbitrate. Um, so, all your rights are spelled out online. It's it's not that hard to, to understand, but it's certainly, if you feel like you're being treated unfairly, you should absolutely pursue right. it. Take good notes. Write down the name of everyone you spoke to, their number. Don't just say, well, I talked to Sally down there, and she told me. And, you know, the best way to keep up your pants is suspenders and a belt. There you okay? go. <laughs> so be redundant. Right. Make sure you've got a date stamp if you file the document. Make sure you've got a paper trail or an electronic trail of emails and communications and save those print them up put them in your cloud don't just stick something with a stamp on it and think that's going to get there in time or be delivered to the right person that's not what a lawyer would do so make sure you if you've got to go to the clerk's office or the commissioner's office you give them the documents they put in a little thing that looks like a stapler and it prints a date stamp for you make sure you get a copy there you go make sure you're prepared and if you need great legal advice I encourage you to reach out to Ray and Bruce. This is how you get a hold of them, Bruce. Always easy to get a hold of me. My cell number is 404-202-2233. You can also email me, Bruce, at hagen-law.com, H-A-G-E-N-law.com. We've got a ton of great information on our website uh, if you're just uh, interested. But uh, if you want a specific answer to a specific question, shoot me an email or give me a call. Yeah, Ray Judice, 404-964-4185, RayJudiceLaw.com. That's my webpage, and it's got some information about me and some video lectures I've given, and maybe that'll have you to come talk to me, and maybe you'll run in the opposite direction screaming. But uh, either way, I'm trying to be uh, informative and helpful. There you go. But if you run into maybe a tax issue, you guys could probably recommend a tax lawyer, right? we got some great ones. Yeah, Absolutely. there you go. Easy to get a hold of, easy to get help from the best lawyers in the city of Atlanta, in the state of Georgia, maybe in the country, and we've even goofed in the universe. In the world. In the world. The known universe. That's exactly right. Uh, Bruce Hagen and Ray Judice here on Extra 106.3. We appreciate you spending time with us. You can always listen to this show in podcast form. You can find it on any of the podcast platforms that you use, like Apple and uh, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, any of those. You can always find the Your Day in Court 
podcast edition if you missed it here on the radio if you're just catching the back half of it and want to go back and listen to more wherever you get your apps or wherever you get your downloads wherever you get your podcasts you can find this show there just search for your day in court that does it for us y'all have a great weekend the winningest team in baseball also has the most saves and people who save the most money are winners so start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only ten dollars each these bonds earn a fixed seven percent apy and there's no fees penalties or minimum balance required and they can be redeemed whenever you like you can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds go to worthybonds.com backslash save that's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing, or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.